And amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in the book of First Peter. If this is your first Sunday uh, at Abundant Life, you've picked a good Sunday to be here because we are beginning a new series. Uh, it is a series in which we're going to do a verse-by-verse walkthrough of the book of First Peter. And we're calling it Exiles Passing Through Without Passing By. I'll explain to you exactly what that means in just a few moments. But we are exiles who are passing through without passing by. I want to go ahead and put on record, please forgive me. My wife and I are going to have to leave immediately after service. We are uh, going to San Francisco where we have to catch a a plane to Chicago. Um, My wife and I, we have a commitment to do proactive things to invest in our marriage, and we are going to a marriage retreat uh, with about 12 um, senior pastors and their wives. Uh, We're not going to teach on it. Uh, we are going to take notes and to try to be um, to try to have a better better marriage. Some of y'all may be wondering, well, what's wrong? <laughs> Nothing. We're just trying to get better, and we don't have a perfect marriage, and there's room for improvement, and you ain't got one either. <laughs> All right. So uh, I'm trying to love this woman the best that I can, and she's trying to love me as well. So. We don't want to just be stuck together. We, we still want to be honeymooning. So uh, that, that's what we're doing. So please forgive me. Uh, we've got a flight to catch around two something. Uh, so normally instead of me preaching for about 90 minutes today, we'll just be about 75. Um, just kidding. Some of y'all are like, for real? For real? So First Peter. First Peter chapter 1. One more thing before we dive into the Word. We're also doing a marriage DNA course. I just want to open it up to the first 20 couples that are going to sign up for it. Um, and uh, we're going to offer it once a semester. My wife and I are just going to pour in six-week run on just the building blocks of what makes for a great marriage. Uh, already, um, w- one couple has shown interest to... Um, uh, I won't go into all the details, but this is for people both in, in our church and also maybe people who don't go to Abundant Life. Uh, it's also for Christians and non-Christians. Now, I want you to hear me. I don't do weddings between a Christian and a non-Christian because how can two walk together except they be one, right? But I love doing premarital counseling uh, with uh, couples who don't know Jesus because I take them straight to the Bible and we walk through and I let them know marriage isn't the Supreme Court's idea. It was God's idea. So let me show you what this thing looks like. So 20 couples, first 20 couples to sign up. That's uh, all we're going to take in this first go around. And we are, we are looking forward to it. First Peter chapter one. In some sectors of the church, um, in fact, some of us have gone to um, services like this. It's called an Ash Wednesday service. Anybody ever been to an Ash Wednesday service? Wow, a lot of y'all. Um, the, the idea of an Ash Wednesday service is the priest, the pastor, the officiant, he, he, he takes a pinch of dust, maybe a pinch of um, charcoal, pinch of ash, and the, the people are marched in front of him and 
and, and he will take this pinch of dust and will put it usually on their forehead. And typically, typically, this, this officiant, this pastor, this priest will, will, will pull a line from Genesis 3.19. And as he's putting this pinch of dust, this pinch of charcoal on the forehead of, um, of the parishioner, uh, this, this person will typically say from Genesis 3.19, remember... You are but dust. Remember, Ash Wednesday from Genesis 3.19, you are but dust. It's at this moment where if you've ever been to an Ash Wednesday service, if you, if you really let those words sink into your spirit, it's almost as if all of your life has been paraded in front of you. And you are reminded, here it is, of your mortality. You're reminded of the simple fact that you ain't going to be here forever. In fact, on the continuum of things, should the Lord Jesus Christ tarry, we're not going to be here long. The older I get... The more I'm convinced, I think one of the big hindrances to really living this life as followers of Jesus Christ to the full is, is so many of us have spiritual amnesia when it comes to our mortality. Yeah, we know we're going to die. But many of us just assume we have a lot longer than what we actually have. If you read the book of James, James says, come now, you who say tomorrow we will do thus and so. He, he repudiates their arrogance. He says, don't you understand? Your life is but a mist. It's here for a moment and then gone. If you would open up the San Francisco Chronicles and, 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 and read the obituaries, many of those obituaries were written about people who, who had planned the vacation, who had made the assumption, who had bought the plane tickets, who had assumed. And then God said, give me back my breath. So that, I, I think two things. I think, I think part of our problem is, is, is we need to be constantly reminded of our mortality. That's why Solomon says it's always better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. In other words, he says, Brian, you learn a lot more from a funeral than you do a party. Church, I used to pastor a 14-year-old kid named Jay. Just was sitting in youth Bible study, wasn't feeling too well. Sat out in his mom's car, mom picked him up, boom, collapsed and died, 14 years old. I said to my boys, Quentin, Miles, and Jaden, you're coming with me to the funeral. I want you to see this. See, I want you to see the corpse of a 14-year-old kid. I want you to see it. Why? Because I want them to be in touch with their mortality. So remember... Genesis 3.19, you are but dust. So be in touch with your mortality, but also I think another point that can be brought out of this is just the reality that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. 
Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You can eat as many salads as you want. You work out as much as you'd like. Do all the spinning classes they offer. Just, <sighs> you're going to die. You're going to die. And then you will stand before your maker. This life, here for a moment, and it's not our home. As we come to the book of 1 Peter, it's as if Peter is grabbing us by the lapels and he's looking us right in the eyes and he's saying, I want you to live life to the full. I want you to squeeze everything you can, Brian, out of this life. And, and, and Peter's argument is the way that you do that is you are constantly keeping in mind you are but dust. You're in exile. You're passing through. You're passing through. You're passing through. If anyone's qualified to write this, it's Peter. Look at verse 1. Look at how Peter introduces himself. He says in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Here is Peter. He spent three years with Jesus. He walked with him for three years. No one lived a more full life than Jesus Christ, which is crazy to me because he only lived until age 33. And yet, counterintuitively, Jesus did more in 33 years than we could ever do in 33 lifetimes. Now, how was Jesus able to live such a full life? I think he labored under two realities. One, he was constantly in mind with his death. Peter, here's Jesus. He was constantly talking to his disciples about how the Son of Man, which is what he called himself, how the Son of Man will be killed and crucified. Luke says that one time Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, the city upon which he would die. Jesus Christ labeled, labored under what Holman Hunt called the shadow of the cross. But secondly, how was, how was Jesus so able to get the most out of this life? Because he knew this life was not all there was. He lived this life in view of the life to come. In fact, he came from that life to this life, walked with us in this life, and lived in such a way that we might go back with him to the next. That's how Jesus was able to live to the full. Because he understood death was looming, but even then the grave couldn't stop him. He was a citizen of another kingdom. This is important for us. And if there's anything that I want you to understand, in fact, if you miss this one term, you'll miss the whole point, not just of our passage, but of the whole book of 1 Peter. Peter goes on to say in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are, underline this phrase, elect exiles. Now, Peter is writing in a language called Greek. The Greek word for exile is a bit of an oxymoronic term. What do I mean by that? The Greek word for exile, hear it now, it literally means the close stranger. It means the close foreigner. Peter says, I'm writing a group of people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to call you the elect close strangers. What does he mean by that? 
the elect, close strangers. In the Old Testament, in exile, we would call that person a sojourner. It was a person from another nation who was living in geographical and spatial close proximity to the Jews. In today's context, we would call the exile the immigrant. It is a person who's not from the United States of America. They're from Russia. They're from Poland, maybe Mexico. And they're living in close proximity to us. But everything about, about the way they talk, their culture, their, their, their customs, their practices, says, this person, while they live near me, they ain't from here. Peter says, aha, that's how I want you to live. Why? Because when God saved you, he made you a part of another kingdom. And the allegiance that you're to have to that kingdom is to trump any allegiance you have to this kingdom. In fact, Paul would say it this way in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. Look at it with me. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Now, now let me just stop right here. Let me put all my cards on the table. If ever there was a part of the country that needs to be reminded, you're exiles, you're exiles, you're exiles. This ain't home, this ain't home, this ain't home. It's for those of us living in the Bay. I don't hear y'all this morning. Um, CBS News 2016, they put out a, a report of the top 10 best, most desirable cities to live in. Number 10, San Jose. Number nine, San Francisco. I mean, here we are. Forgive my terminology. I think this is the right way to, to say it. We, we, for, many of us live on that 101 corridor. Is that right, Brother Arshel? The, the 101 corridor. CBS News, 2016 says, this corridor, most desirable, one of the most desirable places in the country to live. And I can tell you, just as a newbie, man, absolutely. Like, like I, I flew to Nashville this week, got off the plane, and that humidity person jumped on my back, started choking me. Uh, it, it, it wasn't that nice, but then I got the plane back here a couple days later, and man, I was glory to God. Like, like God is still constructing heaven right now. Did you know that? Well, Jesus says, I go away to prepare a place for you, which the implication is when I'm done, I'll come back. Well, he ain't come back yet, so they're still working on heaven. Now, that's an incredible thought. Now, they must be researching the Bay Area when it comes to the AC in heaven. It's unbelievable. Like my house doesn't have an air conditioning in it. And I remember asking a bunch of people uh, before I bought the house, what do you think about that? And I said, yeah, there's like 14 days out of the year where you'll wish you had air conditioning. But outside of that, I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, it's unbelievable here. Palm trees, mountains, the ingenuity, Google cars, self-driving. I ain't never going to get in one of them, but they look cool. I mean, you just got all this stuff happening. And there's just this sense in which you're driving down the street. You could just say to yourself, Mama, I made it. And I ain't never going back. There's just this sense in your spirit where you can kind of exhale to yourself, I'm in heaven. Peter says, no, you're not. 
Bay Area, you're an exile. Don't get enamored. Life for you is not about squeezing into some property and watching your value go up or the zip codes in which you live or the weather forecast. Yeah, enjoy, but don't get enamored. You're passing through. You're passing through. You're passing through. You're passing through. Now hear me. Peter, when he calls us exiles, he's not, he's not espousing some sort of laissez-faire mentality where we as Christians kind of say, well, since I'm passing through, I, I, who cares about the society in which I live? I don't, I don't have to care about the environment or any of that stuff. No, that's not what Peter is saying. In fact, I would refer you to the book of Jeremiah, which Jeremiah is prophesying to Jews who are in the middle of the Babylonian exile. And God says to the Jews through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, look, I know you're in a foreign place, but I want you to build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens and vineyards, seek the welfare of the city for in its welfare, you will find yours. God wants us to care about the environment. Man, this is one of the things I love about the Bay. It's an incredibly green area. I remember first shopping thing my wife and I did here. We, we go to Target I mean, we're fresh off the boat. There's a couple hundred dollars worth of stuff in there. This kid looks like 17 years old checking us out. And he scans a couple of items and he goes, do you want a bag? I'm going, what the heck kind of question is that? Of course I want a bag. Why are you asking me that? Scans a few more items. You want another bag? Bruh, you're getting on my nerves right now. Of course I want a bag. I've never had this happen to me before. And of course you guys are laughing because you know he's asking me for a bag because they're not cheap. I mean, they're not free. He's charging me. So the sensitivity here about recycling and so, I think this is a part of a Christian ethic. Christians should recycle and Christians should care for the environment and Christians should seek to fight cancer. Care for the environment, yes, but don't get enamored. You're passing through and you're passing through. I've I've flown all over the world, all kinds of airports and man, I... My wife and I have been in Dubai, and there's wonderful shopping at that airport, and Paris has a great airport, and flew down to Sydney one, a couple times, and they've got a great airport. In fact, their airport, you can buy Rolex watches and fine wine and clothes and all this stuff. But for all these airports and all their shopping stuff, you know one thing I've never seen in an airport? I've never seen a shopping cart in an airport. Like, I've just never seen a rack of them. Why? Because the merchants there, yes, they want you to buy some things, they want you to enjoy, but here's what they understand. They know that in airports, by definition, you're passing through. So they don't expect you passing through. They want you to enjoy, they don't expect you to load up. That's what Peter is saying. No, 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 enjoy. Go on your prayer walk, look at the palm trees, praise God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The Bay Area is declaring a lot of glory. Just don't load up. You're passing through. Okay, pastor, I get that. God saved me. I need to have in mind, I am but dust. I'm passing through, passing through, passing through. 
But pastor, help me understand something. Wouldn't it have been a lot easier if when God saved me, he just would have called me back home? Why did he leave me here as an exile to, as the old season saints used to say, to occupy until he comes? Why did he leave me here? What is my purpose? Look back at the text. Peter says to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, that is those who are scattered in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. These are kind of like the remote sections of the Roman Empire, the outskirts, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and the sanctification of the Spirit. Underline this phrase, for obedience, for obedience, for obedience to Jesus Christ. Peter says, you are in exile... And the reason why God, when he saved you, left you here to occupy until he returns is for you to display your obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, the idea here, again, Peter's writing in Greek, the Greek word for obedience, it literally means to be under. It's the idea of submission. Let me say it in layman's terms. It means to display the lordship of Jesus Christ. So I am in exile here, but while being here, I am to display this message at work, in my neighborhood, at my kids' games, at the frat house, in the dormitory, that my life is under new management. The problem with so many Christians is we know Jesus as Savior, just not as Lord. I mean, we see this all the time on award shows, right? Take the Grammys. Somebody gets an award, hip-hop song of the year, I Shot Your Mama. And the artist who gets the award for the song, I Shot Your Mama, gets up and says, first giving honor and glory to God. As you're about to accept the award for I Shot Your Mama. Now, what is this artist saying at that point? He's saying, God is my Savior, just not my Lord. It's a corny theological cliche, but it's true. Either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You're in exile passing through. And while you're passing through, in the meantime, in between time, may your life scream under new management. We've seen this when athletes get a certain measure of notoriety, a company will come to them like Nike and Nike will say, Hey, let's do an endorsement deal. We want to enter into a contractual agreement with you. We'll pay you a bunch of money. They sign the papers. And now Nike gets to tell them, Hey, look at the press conference. We want you to wear our shirt with the swoosh, our hat with the swoosh. Oh, by the way, when you're on the golf course playing in your next tournament, we want you to hit our clubs with the swoosh, our balls with the swoosh. Oh, by the way, we actually want you to talk about us too. So we're going to shoot a couple of commercials. So everything about you from what you wear to how you talk, we want your life to point not to your life, but to a greater reality, which is us. Well, when you got saved, you signed an endorsement deal with Jesus Christ. You entered into a covenant arrangement in which everything about your life is to say, I don't exist for me. I am displaying his glory. Peter says, you are passing through and I'm calling you 
display the glory of God. Know him not just as Savior, but as Lord. All right, Pastor, I'm I'm starting to understand this. But now, if I'm this faithful exile, what can I expect when it's all said and done? Peter says in verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here it is, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable. That means it's permanent. Undefiled, that means it's pure. Unfading, that means it's preeminent, kept in heaven for you. So here's what he's saying. Listen, for those of you who are faithful exiles, you're you're enjoying this life, but you're not enamored with it. You're representing Christ in all the dimensions of your life. You can count on when it's all said and done that you will have an inheritance. Well, pastor, what's the inheritance? Look at Psalm 16 with me on the screen. David writes in Psalm 16, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What is the inheritance? He begins by saying, The Lord is my chosen portion. He ends by saying, I have a beautiful inheritance. What is our inheritance? You get God. You get an eternity of seeing him and sensing him and savoring him and worshiping him. You get God. But but there's more. As if that wasn't good enough. You read through the New Testament and there's crowns. The crown of life. The crown of righteousness. Now the point of crowns in heaven is not to parade around going, in. I I got more crowns than you. For we will all lay them at the Savior's feet. But woe to that person has nothing to lay at the Savior's feet. I believe for that person there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth because they didn't live this life as a faithful exile. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and someone's here today and that's you, you're sitting here and you're going, I just, I just don't, don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Here's what you need to understand. The picture Peter is painting when he's talking about our inheritance, how that it is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's it's unfading. What he's saying here is what is waiting on us is infinitely times better than anything that this life has to offer because everything else outside of heaven is perishable, is defiled, is fading. So how long can you love that brand new car? Until next year's model come out. I mean, back in my day, you had to have the stonewashed jeans with the Adidas, shell toe Adidas, with the fat boy laces. Well, how long can you love a certain fashion until it passes out of style? Peter is saying there's something that never gets out of style. There's something that never grows old. It's God and the crowns that he offers us. Well, how do I get this inheritance? Three things. Inheritances always fall on three fundamental principles. Number one, inheritances are always tangible. 
So when a person dies, what that inheritance would entail is you get property or you get money or you get some kind of special family heirloom. Well, in the supernatural, our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Secondly, in order to get an inheritance in the natural, someone's got to die. Well, that's easy because in the spiritual, Jesus Christ has died in our place and for our sins. Well, in the natural, you can only get an inheritance if you share DNA with the person who's died. Now, I, I love Zach Poonin, but when Zach Poonin dies, he ain't going to leave me nothing. Because we don't share DNA. And likewise, this inheritance, friends, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you can't claim it. Recently, Prince died. And this one guy in prison claimed to be Prince's son. It made sense, his argument, because Prince didn't leave a will, and everybody's clamoring, saying, yeah, that, that was my dad. So this guy spins this tale how in the 1970s his mom and Prince had this relationship, and he was the fruit of that relationship. And the authority said, okay, if that's your claim, let's take a little test. And when the DNA came back negative, he didn't get the inheritance. Oh, friends, how many people are going to be disappointed because when they look their maker in the eye, they assumed God was their father. But the DNA didn't line up. This inheritance is only for those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and adopted into the family of God. I get it. I get it, Pastor. I've got this stuff waiting on me. But man, life down here is sure hard. Easier said than done, this whole notion of trying to be a faithful exile. I'm trying to faithfully display the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But Pastor, life here is hard. Peter gets to that. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, listen, you have been grieved. You have been grieved. You have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter is saying, look, I know it's hard. He says, you've been grieved. And I love what he says, you've been grieved by various trials. The idea of various means multicolored. In other words, trials come in all kinds of shapes and sizes and colors. I was sitting on a panel this weekend, uh, this past week in Nashville, and they were asking me questions about preaching. And I said to them, look, you know, I'm glad you guys invited me here. I preached a session here, but you, you need to know my favorite kind of preaching isn't itinerant preaching. It's pastoral preaching. They said, unpack that. I said, because you get to know a people and over time, my preaching here, I believe is going to get better because I'm going to get to know you better. There's times when you'll be sitting behind a computer and you'll be thinking of people and seeing faces. Not that you're trying to take advantage or exploit people, but there's just a, a sweetness to preaching as you're walking with sheep. You realize 
that right now in this room, many of you are going through various trials. For some of you, even being here, you had to will yourself into this room. It's a rough season. There's sickness, there's suffering, there's relational discord, or maybe things in your marriage aren't going, isn't going well. Maybe you've had a hard stretch at school. Maybe there's a job situation that's happening, stress with your boss. You don't know where your career is going. And in the middle of all that, hear it now, Peter says, be a faithful exile. And some of you are snickering going, yeah, right. Easier said than done. How am I to be a faithful exile when my wife is about to leave me? How am I to be a faithful exile when I've got to file for bankruptcy? How am I to be a faithful exile when all hell is breaking loose? What does that look like? I love what Peter says. Look again at verse 5. He says, here's how. He says in verse 5, who by God's power being guarded through faith... That word faith is very interesting. The idea of the word faith, it actually presupposes risk. Following Jesus Christ presupposes an element of risk. Why? Verse 8, for, for, for though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Here is our faith holding on in the midst of another round of chemo to a God I can't see. Navigating life and difficulties, and trials with someone I've never heard from before. There's risk involved. But here's what he says in verse 5. I love it. He says, you need to understand that when you go through, the engine to the exile is faith. And he says in verse 5, it is God who is guarding your faith. I love this. The Greek word for guard, it was used of soldiers who had found special treasure, spoils. And, and, and before they could get it back to base, they would march guard duty around this special treasure. That's the word Peter uses of God when he says that it is God who's guarding your faith. It's not, angel, it's not angels like Michael or Gabriel. It's actually God who is marching guard duty. He says, child of God, you can hang in there. In the midst of so much mess and heartache and all kinds of hell is breaking out in your life, I want you to have the picture that God is marching guard duty around your faith. The other day I... Um, the other day, I went to the, uh, to the ATM to get some of my precious resources out. And I pulled up and I said, uh-oh, we got a problem here. Ever gone to the ATM and you timed it just right so that the Brinks armored truck was there? So there's the Brinks armored truck and there's about two or three guys with bulletproof vests and armed with heavy artillery, if you know what I mean. I didn't have a conversation with them. I didn't ask them to hurry up. I just said, I'm not getting my resources out of that place. So I backed up and went to another place. That's the idea here. Friends, you need to know that there's a Brinks armored truck parked at your faith. And that there are soldiers, namely one, his name is God. And if God is guarding you, 
Satan can't get you. Hang in there, child of God. You can make it. Finally, he ends with this. Yeah, pastor, but I need some more help being a faithful exile. He concludes in verse 10 by saying, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time, here it is, the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Here's what he's saying. When going through tough times, not only take comfort in the fact that God is marching guard duty, but also take comfort in the fact that the very person we follow, Jesus Christ, has been through what you've been through. Oh, you need Bible. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He says, here's the exile's example. It's Jesus Christ. So he says, when you're going through, yeah, talk to your pastor. Yeah, pour your heart out to your growth group. Yeah, get on the phone with your girlfriends. Hang out with the homies. But at the end of the day, make sure you look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. For Jesus suffered, and yet he came through the sufferings in the wilderness When Satan tried to tempt him, Jesus emerged unscathed. Here Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's crying his eyes out, wailing in prayer, God preserves him. And on the cross, when he could have called a legion of angels to rescue him, he literally hung in there. Jesus endured suffering. Corey and I, when our little boy Miles was enduring his trial... He had what's called hyper-eosinophil syndrome. It's a rare blood disease which required him to go to St. Jude's Hospital all the time. And um, they had to draw his blood a lot. And those first couple rounds, uh, Miles was not having it. He was fighting nurses. Um, He just wasn't having it. And Corey says, I think you need to come with me. So I got off work and came with Corey and Miles, and we went to the nurse, and they've been having a hard time with, with Miles, understandably so. Miles was like six or seven at the time, and Miles was just like, Daddy, I just don't want to do it. And I, I said, sit on my lap. I said to the nurse, ma'am, what I may be asking you may be out of protocol, but my son doesn't want to be stuck with this needle. So maybe if he saw you drawing my blood. Ma'am, is it okay if you drew my blood? She says, Absolutely. I stuck my arm out, and I'm having my own little prayer session. I said, you, yeah, you in it now. And she put the little thing around my arm and sprayed the cold stuff on it. I saw the, ne- the needle, prayed a little harder. She stuck me and drew blood, and Miles is watching the whole time while I don't flinch. When she got done, I looked at Miles, and I said, Miles, you think you're ready? He took a deep breath. He said, Dad, I can do it. Nurse then sprayed the cold stuff on his arm. He looked the other way as they took the blood. How was Miles able to endure? Because he looked to his dad. He looked to his dad as his example. And he saw his dad 
enduring suffering. And he figured, if you can make it and I'm in relationship with you, then I can make it too. James says, Peter says, child of God, you're going through stuff, but you ain't going through something your maker hasn't gone through himself. Look to him. The author, finisher of your faith. Oh, friend, you're in exile. This is a powerful word. It speaks to us not just who are in prosperity, but it speaks to me even when I'm suffering. You can make it. Why? Because we serve a Savior who hung on the cross for you and he suffered and he died. You can make it.